0: every creed, color, and background, social class to make one new humanity. We are the place where, just a bit of a recap of the last few weeks, we are the place where who God is, God is love, God is family and himself. The thing that defines God is in us and overflows through us to shape and define who we become. So God sets the sense of his love, which is like family love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, me and my Father will come and live in you, Jesus said to the disciples. And so he sets that in our hearts, which kind of binds us together so that we become family. Uh, and it's, it's an incredible kind of thought that people from all different backgrounds and classes and creeds and all of that can come together and be one. And this is what Paul, why Paul was so obsessed with the church. This is why Paul was so um, uh, taken up with the beauty and the wonder of the church. This is why he said it was the manifold wisdom of God, because it's a fellowship of difference. Okay, You just need to look to the person to your left or, or right to realize that you're very different, Okay, <clears throat> for better or for worse. But we're a fellowship of difference who, in Christ, have become one new humanity. It's, it's a really amazing thought, and uh, it's a gift to be part of that. It's, it's such a gift. And uh, this culminated for us on teaching this with a couple of weeks ago. We uh, laid our bricks uh, on the wall here. And uh, signed a little sheet that committed ourselves, for those of us who felt the Lord was leading us here to Emmanuel Portadown as the local expression of the church that we want to say yes to. The covenantal community, the community of faith centered on the person of Jesus, knit together by the love that he revealed to us, which is a covenantal love, which is a love that's beyond the way we describe love today. It's a deep love where we commit ourselves to Jesus Sacrifice and surrender, try to live out sacrificial love and try to set that at the very heart of our community. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so as we go forward, we want to continue to grow as a family. We're, we're teaching these uh, practices to you um, because we want you to understand what we mean when we say them biblically and theologically, if you like. But the key word in them is a it's practice. They're, so they're practices, so the things that we're going to do. Okay, so just because we've maybe stopped teaching on that one's not to mean that we're not going to practice it. We're hopefully setting it in motion so that we'll continue to live that out. And we want to continue to grow as a family in the days ahead. And we want to give a lot of attention to the family dynamics because they're really important. But I want to move on slightly for the next couple of weeks to look at the fourth theme practice called training leaders, okay? So those are the six, and now we're going to look at training leaders. Now, what could this mean, and what could this mean for you? Well, I think there's something for everyone here this morning, so let let me try and convince you, all right? You might not think you're a leader, but we're going to get to that in a moment or two. To set the scene, first of all, I think it's really, really important that we remember this, that we actually are, as a church, a family on a mission. We are family. We spend a lot of time teaching and trying to um, talk about the beauty of family, but we are a family with a job to get done, okay? We're a, we're a family with a job to get done. We're not just a family uh, entity under ourselves. We're a family with a job to get done, and the job is a big job, <laughs> right? Um you know, my dad used to talk about wee jobs and big jobs. Okay, well, this is a big job, right? And the job that we have to get done as the family of God is to disciple the nations. That's a big job. But that's what we're caught up in, a family on a mission. And to carry on the work of Christ on the earth, not just as a bunch of random individuals, but as a family. We are being communities that reflect this one new humanity of what Christ is doing. And so God can have what God has always wanted, which is a family of families. For those of you who know maybe a wee bit more of the Bible, you know, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul praises prayer. You know, I give thanks to God, the Father of, of through which every family on earth is named, right? So God wants a family of families. We are a family, part of lots of other families, families of God, the body of Christ all over this world with a job to do. And the job is to disciple nations. And so, in order to do that, I think what has to happen is we have to disciple one another. First and foremost, <clears throat> we have to love one another, equip one another, shape each other up to become more like Christ. Um, it's in the family we become more like Jesus. We move into increasing likeness. You can't do that if you stay at home and watch the God Channel, right? You don't get transformed. All you do is get little, like maybe perked up or something, for the way, but you don't really get transformed. You, you don't, I would argue... Even just, just you do get transformed by sitting on your own and reading your Bible. You do. And that's really important that you develop that. But you don't get fully transformed, I don't think, the way Jesus wants us to unless you're in the church. Unless you're around the other people that God is changing and transforming into his likeness, and somehow then we disciple each other in the Christ likeness. Because when you come to church, you realize everybody's not like you. (laughs) We're a fellowship of difference. Yeah. And it forces you, right, into self-sacrificial love. Yeah. It challenges your stubbornness. Right? It collides with your selfishness. It does all of those things. And that's why I've come to realize that the body of Christ is a gift to me. And if it's a gift to us, it will be a gift to the world. And so we all, I love this little saying, we're loved by a father and we're formed in a family. Okay? And uh, it's not unlike what a natural family should be like, you know? In, 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 the, in the idea, now, I know the world is broken, and unfortunately this isn't the case in many circumstances, but that's why we have to try and be that. We're loved by a father, or you could say the mother as well, part of who God is. And we're formed in a family in the same way as uh, we want our families to be. And so in becoming more like Jesus and welcoming his presence into our midst as we worship him, we build family better but we will also overflow with something as well we will become a blessing a healthy body right so as we welcome the presence of god into our midst and as we become more aware of his presence we become a family it's like if, if paul uses the metaphor of a body doesn't it so it's like almost like as we welcome jesus into our midst into the midst of his family it's like the joints and the sinews and the muscles and all of those kind of things they start to get better entwined and formed we get we start to get healthier Right, but we don't get healthy just to sit on a on a pew, right? We get healthy to do some exercise, don't we? We get and part of the way that you actually get healthy is not by all of those things being joined together, but by them working out, <laughs> not by punching people, but but by by working by working out by working the body. And so we um, want to be a body that um, that is healthy and and, and how it interacts with one another, but we know it's only going to be healthy when it actually moves. Yeah, and uh, so we want want to move, and the the New Testament gives us an idea, I think, of how we can move and how we can order, we've been using that word a little bit, how we can order the family in such a way um, that the body can function properly and fulfill this mission. Right? So how can we be both the family, but how can we also be this family of mission? I think the New Testament gives us some ways that we can think about that. And as Paul is watching all of these little kind of embryonic communities, the little fledgling communities start to form people from Jews and Gentiles and males and females and slaves and masters all coming together into one. And he's watching the beauty of this family come. He's trying to help them understand how they can be family, but how they can be family on a mission. Right? And um, uh, he, he, in order to do that, in order to do that, he, he, gives them some, he, he gives them some help in the New Testament. Incidentally, it's really good to do it with your own families. It's really good when your kids are family. We eat at the table together and we develop family. But it's really good if your kids feel they're part of something bigger. If they feel like they're on a mission with you. If they feel like they have something to give their lives to with mommy and daddy. Yeah? That it's not, it, that's, that's a really good thing. That it's not just the grown ups do this, but we all do this together. And so we wanna be that as a as a church. And so I'm gonna read a scripture and I'm gonna see how I get on. It's all right. I'm going to see how I get on this morning because it's kind of like a two-part thing this week and next week. Okay, so um, depending on how much we we'll get through, we'll uh, we'll get we'll get into more next week. The, this is a really important scripture, though. It's probably one of my favourite. It's Ephesians chapter four. I have it on the screen, so you can follow if you want in your own Bible. But uh, this is NIV, I think. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter four. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lowly earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's key, right? He who descended is the one who ascended in order to fill the whole, it doesn't say church, it says the whole universe. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head—that that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. What a fabulous piece of scripture. Just kind of saying what I was trying to say there at the start, right? That we, every joint and ligament, will grow up into him who is Christ, so that we can be one church, and we can be mature, and we can be this body that exercises itself in the mission of God, that we can be a family, a mission. And we see lots of family language. Do you have referenced it last week, and others of us have talked about it over the last few weeks, that we would maintain the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the church, that we would pursue the bond of peace. Right? But we also see, as well as this beautiful family language to knit us together, we see that there is a mission to get done. There is a vocation for the church. There is a calling on the church. And part of that is through Christ, the head of the body living through us, is to fill the universe with the presence of God. That is a big job. <laughs> right? But that is our mandate. That is our vocation as a church. And if we're not doing that, we're not fully being the church. And we want to grow into the head who is Christ so that we will literally fill the universe, fill the city with the presence of God. We are literally his hands and feet. It's not just a nice little thing. We actually are the extension of Jesus on the world today as the people of God. And that mission is the filling of the universe done through the fullness of Christ. And God gave certain gifts to get those done right? And we call those the five full gifts, okay? And they're the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher, right? Those are five gifts that Jesus wants to to release in this body, has released in this body, in order to get the job done, okay? Now, I don't know how much I'm going to get into those today, but if I don't get into them today, I'll get into them next week, okay? Because I want to set a scene here first, right? But those gifts and graces are the extension of who Jesus is, and he's put them into his church so that we can do what he did. Now, there's lots of churches that don't believe those gifts are for the day, right? And God bless them, right? Because they've probably got lots of things right that we don't have right, right? But I totally disagree, right? totally disagree. And I think the enemy, for far too long, has thought and, and seduced the, the church to think that they're not. Because it says, when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Right? So it's after he went back to heaven, he gave them. When he ascended on high. Okay. Plus, the other thing I would say is, do we feel that the first part of what we read, which was the unity of the church, Do we think that that was just for the early church? No. Right? You see the last bit that we read, which was like to come to mature manhood? Do you think that's just for the early church? No. So the bit in the middle, right? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Do you think that would be just for the early church? It would be silly to think like that. You can only believe that if somebody taught you to believe it. You can only believe the gifts of the spirit, and the things are are, are not for the day. If somebody actually taught you that, but you can't actually come to a conclusion. I don't believe. I'm still to be convinced. I'm obviously not, right? If you can't really read that and not come to that conclusion, that's that's just that's just. and, And so I'm saying it up front because I want you to understand where we're coming from as a leadership, okay? Because we truly believe, right, that simply just having pastors and teachers isn't going to change the world, right? They're really, really important. And we've got some brilliant ones here. But we need all of those Apostle, Prophets, Evangelists, Shepherds, and Teachers, all of them flowing because they're who Jesus was. Right? So he was the chief Apostle. He was the chief Prophet. He was the chief Evangelist. He was the chief Shepherd. He was the chief Teacher. He was the archetype of all of those. Right? And so he wants to put those into his body because he wants us to continue his ministry. I said I wasn't going to get into this, but now I'm getting in a roll here, right? But the, these are the gifts, and I'm going to explain what each of them done. D- do. But I believe everybody gets in on them. I don't believe they're actually, and part of the problem, I think, is we've just um, bottlenecked them around leaders. But the actual Bible says that to each one, grace was apportioned. Each of us got grace for this, right? And God has leaders in those areas, I believe, but there's 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 grace for each of us. Okay, (laughs) so reel that all back in for a minute, Alan to say that Jesus gives these gifts. Why does he give them? I'm going to unpack them for us because I think it's really important because I really want it to become language that we're familiar with in church, okay? I don't want it to be one of those kind of closet texts that everybody thinks is a bit controversial or something. I want it to be right into the heart of who we are so that we can flow, I think, in the way that Jesus wants us to as the body of Christ, okay? But I'm going to get into them over... I keep saying that. Anyway, right, the reason that we got them... That Jesus gave them is this. This is the whole reason. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Right? So these gifts and graces are given so the body would work well and would be built up so that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is why we have these gifts and graces, so that we can become a healthy body, mature, doing the stuff that Jesus did, making him known in the world today. And so, it's not for the superheroes, right? These gifts are given for the ordinary, everyday, I don't like to use the word ordinary, but I'm just trying to make a point, the ordinary, everyday, vanilla Christians, right? These gifts are given so that we can all make Jesus known wherever we are. It's ultimately to help people submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to be empowered by his presence in order to fulfill their unique role in the Great Commission. That's what I think discipleship is. This is my working definition of what I think it is to disciple one another. To help people submit their lives increasingly to the lordship of Jesus. So we're continually in a place of surrender, of dying daily, so that the empowering presence of Jesus can fill us, and that each of us, every single one of us, can fulfill our unique role in fulfilling the Great Commission. Right? Right? So when I'm talking about, and coming all back, what what has this got to do with training leaders, okay? (laughs) When I talk about leaders, right, I'm going to get into more specifically leaders in the church later, and probably more next week. But I want to start here, because I want to start in a very general, overall sense, that in a sense, each and every one of us are leading, right? Wherever you have influence, you have leadership, Right, so whether you're a, an employer, whether you're a mother or father, whether you're a sibling, whether you're whatever, wherever you find yourself, you have influence. And in, in that regard, you, we could argue that you have leadership because leadership, I think, is a field of influence wherever you are influencing people. And so, as a follower of Jesus, we want that influence we have or that leadership to be the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of heaven, don't we? We want wherever we are exerting our influence whether that be at home or in work or wherever it is, we want it to carry something of the atmosphere of heaven to affect change and to bring healing and encourage growth and to see people flourish in their destinies. And so my desire, and I know our desire, speaking on behalf of leadership, is that this church is a place where everybody flourishes wherever God has called you to live your life every day. Like, flourish Like, not just do this dualistic thing which we've done, which is we'll go to church on Sunday, and then that'll be great, that'll be a bit of a pick-me-up, and then I'll go and do this other thing. But the vision and values that you come to know on a Sunday have nothing really to do with what you do on a Monday. And the devil's having a laugh. Because that's not the way it was supposed to be. We're all supposed to be empowered by the presence of Jesus to fulfill the calling that he has in our lives, to fulfill the Great Commission wherever we find ourselves. So everyone's a missionary. Everyone's a missionary. Every single person in Jesus is a missionary. Some get paid for it. Some have to raise their own support for it. But this whole stuff about full-time ministry and non-full-time ministry, that, that's, a, that's a divide we have created. It's not in the Bible, really. And so what we want along to, to see when I talk about leadership, first and foremost, don't discount yourself because wherever you have influence, you have leadership. And my question to you and my question to us for one another is, what is that influence like? (laughs) How is that influence um, representing heaven? And so my longing is that the church, this community of faith, this family that God is creating, becomes a place of instruction and shaping up and equipping and calling out destiny in one another and speaking the truth in love with one another and helping each other know our blind spots so that we can become more self-aware of how we can develop and grow into the people that God has called us to be with increasing leadership and increasing um. Increasing leadership and increasing influence. So it doesn't mean, and this is what a lot of churches do, and at times I've probably fallen into this category as well, what we're not saying is, will you come to church on Sunday and fulfill my vision? Because I think this would be a great idea, and if you could all just get on board, that would be brilliant. So come and serve and do all you do, because if we do this, because God given this to me, then if you all do this, then this would be great. And unfortunately, that's the way many churches are presenting vision and calling people to be involved. But we're trying to say, no, no, no. Like We do think God has given us a vision. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm just kind of generalizing here for a moment. Our vision as the church is to see you fulfill the vision that God has given you for your life. And maybe you don't even know what that is yet. But God has called you for a unique role to fulfill the Great Commission in business and in art and in education, and in maybe political circles, and in community associations, and his mums and dads, and his brothers, he's called you to fulfill your unique role. And so our desire is that when we talk about training leaders, at a base level we're saying everybody's got influence, everybody's got leadership, what's it like? Is it first and foremost submitted to the lordship of Jesus? God has called some of you to make money. But it's not yours. <laughs> right? It's not all yours. It's his. Right? But we can't do, we can't disciple nations without, without, without dosh. Right? We can't do it. Like, we can't do what we think God wants us to do. I, if I it was to spill out all the dreams that I have for this city, we don't have the money for it. Like, thank God, he's, he, the generosity already in the church, people given is wonderful. It's great. It, it is. Just really amazing, just on that, uh, to thank you. But you know, it's, it's not going to be enough for what we need. So here's the question, do you think God's broke? Does anyone think God's broke? Right, God's not broke, right? God owns a cattle in a thousand hills, right? So do you think the dreams that he puts in our heart are from, from him? Well, maybe some of them are ours, but hopefully the most of them are. So what's the, what's the problem? What's the problem? If God's not broke and he's given us dreams, the problem is we don't know how to steward finance properly. The problem is that some of the dreams that he's put in our hearts, he wants us to be profitable, in so that we can see flourishing come in our cities, employ people, give, see people have a job, and and see people look after their families, but also to give into the things of the kingdom, so that the dreams of the city can be fulfilled. Right? So you're a leader in that, if that's you. Some of us in education, some of us in in um in in, in as they call it third sectors, to all of those kind of things. God is calling us to do that. And that's why our vision is broad. That's why our vision is not this. Our vision is to see this church move from 150 people to 500 people in the next year and a half. Right? So will you bring all your people, put all your energy into what you're doing on a Sunday? Which is really, really important, but that's not our vision. Our vision is to rewrite the story of the city. Craig Alvin, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's not going to happen by just raising up 150 preachers. It's going to happen by everybody, wherever God has called them, carrying their leadership and influence into wherever God has called them. And this is what we call apostolic vision. Because the disciples were called apostles when Jesus went back. And apostles is the Greek word for the Latin word, which we're maybe more familiar with in English, which is mission missio in Latin, but it's apostello in Greek, which is where we get the word apostolic from because we are a sent out people on a mission. And so in that regard, right now, it's like halftime. It's like we get together on Sunday, it's like a halftime team talk. We tell stories, we think about the ways in which we saw Jesus move in the first half last week, and we stir ourselves together, we worship, somebody gives a bit of a and come on! right? And then we go again for the next week in order to do the job, in order to be a team or a family on a mission, I'm not supposed to sit in the changing room. Sure we not. We're supposed to all go out and somehow try and coordinate this thing, that there's some kind of strategy and tactic, if you like, in order for us to do what God has called us to do as a family here in Portadown to rewrite the story of the city. Because the goal is, as Ephesians 4 says, is not to fill the church, but to fill the city with the presence of God. And so we want to see that happen. And if we just for a moment were to jump back to good old Nehemiah, who's been providing a frame of reference for us as we think about rebuilding a city like he did, he had to, as Stephen and some of the guys have talked about over the last number of weeks, in order to transform the city, he needed everybody, didn't he? And he also had to utilize leaders, heads of families, people with certain skills to do certain jobs so that the whole city could be transformed and the walls could be rebuilt. And so when Emmanuel put it down, we want to encourage you to pursue this vision of God for your life, we want you to see this hopefully as a place that will foster your sense of vision for life, for the life God has called you to. Right, and so we do need to serve because we want this place to be a light that people can run to. And so we 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 want, if, but if everybody serves, we can do this, and every and people are serving, which is brilliant. But we also don't want to make you all busy doing stuff in here because we want you doing it out there, shaping the culture in which we live so that we can grow and in influence. And so I, I, I want this to be a place. My, my longing before the Lord is that this would be a place, this church would be a place where we all grow, where we all develop, where we all flourish into the people that God has called us to be. And here's the thing: I am, I am stupid enough. Some people like think this is silly, but I, I think it's so biblical. I'm stupid enough to believe that that can happen in and through the local church. It actually go further to say: I think you only fully fulfil the unique call that God has in your life in and through the local church, which is a big statement. And often it's not the case because without sounding critical, the leadership isn't in place to allow that to happen, right? But if we can get the leadership of the church right, which we're humbly trying to submit our hearts to, then we can create a space where everybody gets to play and everybody fulfills the call of God in their life. But there's something about being rooted in the local church that helps us to fulfill this. This is uh, Psalm 92, which kind of makes the point. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Here's a Planted in the house of the Lord, right? Planted in the house of the Lord, the church, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Part of our flourishing is to do with being planted. If you're just being blown around all over the place, visiting a wee church here and a wee church there and going to wee meetings, right? You never flourish, I don't believe. I I mean, like, it's not bad. But, like, until you, like, Plant your feet somewhere and say, "Right, God, I'm committed to this for the long haul to try and become who you're calling me to become." Then that's when we flourish. That's when we kind of build something. That's that that's the stuff of legacy gets tied up in because where our feet, our, our feet, our feet are planted somewhere, right? And so I I just really sense that that what God's saying to us is well, our hearts are aligned to that to not the of. Just come to just come to church on Sunday and make sure you're doing what you have to do. But when our hearts are aligned to the bigger apostolic vision to rewrite the story of the city, Ireland and the nations, to the bigger vision of discipling nations, then we can really become who God has called us to be. And that's what we want to see. People growing. And I really believe and I really long for how this could happen through the local church. Here's what I, I you don't have to and you shouldn't have to hang your brains up on the way in the church. Right? And you shouldn't have to hang up your creativity or your giftedness. Why do I believe, why do, Why would I be sort of so passionate, if that's the way to put it, about this being a place where the church can cause people to flourish? Well, well, let me put it like this. The church was conceived by the Spirit of God. Right Now, further, or even if you want to go back to the start, The world was conceived by the Spirit of God. Creation itself, the Spirit hovering over that mess and void and darkness, and you're creating something of great beauty. And then and then the church, which is that new creation, if you like, at Pentecost, the church is born and the church is conceived. And so what we have is the spirit of Pentecost that conceived the church. That spirit, in case you didn't know, right? But that spirit is not boring and one-dimensional. But that spirit is, is the God who created the beauty of the world. That spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, is ultimate in truth. And, and uh, everything he does is full of splendor and beauty and excellence and glory. This is the Spirit of God. Like we, we think about the best moments when you've watched the horizon or you've sat on a mountaintop or something and you've just went, wow, the Spirit of God created that. Think of a person who's living fully alive in their destiny and you just go, wow, look at that person flourish. That's the Spirit of God. And so if the, the Spirit of God is the ultimate in wisdom, and might, and beauty, and splendor, and glory, and creativity, and all of those. And he is in us. And the place where he chooses to dwell is the church, the new temples, us, who comes. Then why not should we not be the people of wisdom, and beauty, and glory, and creativity? Why have we created this thing that all that stuff happens out there? And we'll do kind of things not really that well in here. And it'll all just be like kind of thrown together and we'll see what happens. And, you know, no, we think these things through and we release the people that are part of it to become all that God has created them to be. This is what I think Paul was getting at when he said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Who created all things? All th- He created them so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God—I've heard it described—that that word "manifold wisdom" is like a kaleidoscope of color. Do you know when you—you you know when you were in whatever it was, physics would it have been? You had like the prism. And the shows the light coming in and how the colors of the rainbow would have shot out of that. That's what Paul's probably getting at there. The manifold wisdom of God through the church would start to be revealed as people live out their destinies in God. And and so this is what I, this is, I'm i saying all this because this is what I, we, we long. Like the, I want to give my life, I'm not saying this in some kind of heroic kind of way, it's just we want to give our lives to see you becoming the person of influence In the sphere of society that God has called you to live your life. That's what we long for. That is the win for us. And if you do that under the lordship of Jesus, you'll disciple people. You'll lead people to Christ. You'll carry the fragrance of heaven. You'll push back darkness. You'll carry a sense of the presence of God. And we get glimpses of this, you know, in the Old Testament. There's a man called Joseph. Do you know what Pharaoh said about Joseph? Pharaoh, this is like the most important man, or not the most important, but the kind of most powerful man, if you like, in the world's eyes back in the day. And he said this about Joseph. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Here's just a, a lad who has the spirit of God in him, and he's raised up basically as prime minister over the biggest empire of the day because somebody noticed, a pagan king noticed, the beauty and the wisdom of who God was in his life. I could quote other examples. You have this guy called Belazil who designed the the tabernacle. If you think the Sistine Chapel is beautiful, you should have seen the tabernacle because this artist was inspired by the Spirit of God. You've got Solomon, the wisest man on all the earth, the wisest man that ever lived. He was a God-fearer. He loved God, and God gave him all that... so, So much of revelation of how heaven works, those proverbs that we read that help us think through life. Daniel, on whom there was a spirit of excellence. Esther, who was raised up in the royal court for such a time as this. People throughout the Bible that God has raised up in order to be at the very heart of society which he wants to fill. Pumping with his heart, thinking with his mind. Releasing the dreams of heaven into the world in which they lived. Shaping and changing culture. Here's the thing. They weren't sitting around reacting to everything. That's what the church for two, is doing too much of the day. We're sitting. This is going on in the world, so how can we kind of get cool? How can we like kind of mimic the culture? How can we, uh, how can we get relevant and do these kind of things, and then we we'll would be cool, and then that will win us a hearing. But what I learned about God, and particularly what I learned about the New Testament, they weren't reacting to anything. In a sense, they weren't. They were proactive because when the Spirit of God comes, He brings something new. We're not. We're not replicating culture. We're setting a new culture, and it's the culture of heaven. It's the ways of Jesus, and and so we can. I I have no doubt, right? I have no doubt in my mind that there's some things going on in your schools, businesses, um, places where you work. There are solutions that are needed at the moment. And I have no doubt that you're carrying the answer. Yes, Christ, the hope of glory, all of those things. Wherever God leads, God provides. You know, maybe that's a word for some of you, actually. Some of you need resources, to do what you need to do, do you think god's stuck? Do you think god doesn 't know how to and some of us, because the the mind of Christ is in the in the body of Christ right and so God wants to release that to you. God wants you to grow and increase and influence and so <clears throat> I, I really i 'm not going to i 'm going to close here in five minutes y'all with me this morning good, good, good. I should have asked a bit earlier, shouldn't I? Right. But I'm going to get, I'm going to get to leadership in the church because the the point is, if we can, where I'm going to go with this next week is, if we can see those five full gifts that I talked about released in the church, which I'll talk about next week, then I think we can see more of what I've just been describing. But I wanted to set the scene to say, what I don't want to do is talk about all the leaders in the church because the leaders in the church aren't going to change the world. They're important in order to equip the saints so that they can change the world. Does that make sense? This is why I'm going around, it, around about it the wrong way, but the right way, I think. Okay, Because we want to see people released into who God has called them to be. So what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that, that Christians are necessarily the smartest people. All right? I'm not saying that um, you can't be successful outside the church. I'm not saying that there's people who aren't Christians that can't display the glory of God. I think they can, because I think they're created in the image of God. But imagine if they were connected to the source. Imagine if they were connected to Jesus. Imagine if their gifts, which display the image of God, imagine if they were connected and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. How much more successful would they be? And you can be successful outside the church, but it depends how you define success, doesn't it? It it depends how you define success. If success is being submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and being empowered by His presence to fulfill your role in, in fulfilling the Great Commission, then, well, how are we doing at that? But it, what that doesn't mean, which I grew up thinking as a boy, what that doesn't mean is God is going to give me something I hate doing. To, uh, to, 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 He's going to make me do stuff I don't like doing. God, God has given you gifts and talents, things that you like to do, things where you love to see other people flourish. He's given you things that when you do them, you feel alive. You feel like I can do those things. That's a good idea and a good sense that you'll have that those are from God what you have to do with that thing though if you want to be successful for Jesus is lay it down at his feet lay it right down at his feet like Moses did with his rod yeah now he still used his rod because God let him pick it up again but then it became used as a rod of the Lord then it became used as a rod that opened up the Red Sea and would strike a rock and water would come out. Right? And so Jesus wants you to grow in influence. And this is why we want to see you move. There's a Greek word, just as a bring this to a conclusion, the Greek word for equip is this word, katartisman, which is where we get the word artisan from or craftsman. It's a bit of a difficult word to define, that's what it's kind of getting at. It's also used, interestingly, do you know when Jesus came to the disciples and said, follow me, and it said they were mending their nets. Well, the word for mending there is this word as well. And so if you put those two things together, it's quite an interesting word. Equipping the saints means that we're going to like help see people mended, right? It's beautiful here on a Friday morning. I've come over most um, most Friday mornings and brilliant commitment and service from the volunteers just doing a great job and with these two big shutters open and people, you know, just people walking in finding a place of just comfort and people praying for people and, you know, and there's going to be more and we, 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 we welcome them men, don't we in the spirit and we're going to have to see people mended, loved, healed made whole but those nets are being mended for something, aren't they? Like if you just mended those nets and kept them in the boats it would be a bit silly but those nets are being mended so that they can be thrown out to catch more fish. And so we have to like see people mended, but then we have to see people shaped up. Right? And so this is what so I'm saying all this because I really long for this church to be a place. And we really long where, where we're gonna equip one another, where we're gonna speak the truth and love one another. Where we're not just gonna allow each other to like make decisions that look like success in the world's eyes, but aren't success. In the kingdom's eyes, yeah, we want to equip one another because every single one of us were created to flourish, to become all that Jesus has called us to be. And as I said earlier, the mind of Christ is in the body of Christ. It's not just up here, right? It's down there. And so as you speak into one another's lives, and in the days ahead, we want to find mechanisms, whether it be... It's meeting in threes or meeting in homes or some of the programs that we've got like Grow and Ignite, which we've done over. We want, we're not doing those programs because it's just the thing that Christians do They go to a wee Bible study. Right? It's more than that. If we're doing that to equip one another, shape each other up, release one another, call forth the destiny in one another to become all that Jesus has called us to be. And as I finish, I want to say this. For some reason, in this little country of ours, we have a bit of resistance to that. We, uh, why would I need to develop? Why do I even need to develop? Like, why, why does somebody need this? Why does, like, the, the thought of somebody giving you feedback? You're like, what's that? Feedback? You know, what, 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 are, what, have they, what have they got to teach me? You know, the thought of even wanting to, like, develop. And sometimes what we do is we just dress it up as faithfulness. You know, okay, just do my wee bit every day. I just go to my work and do that, and then I come home, and that's, that's, my, that's what God's called me. To. And you're kind of like, well, yeah, yes and no. Why would you not want to develop? Why would you not want to grow? Why would you not want to increase in capacity? Why would you not want your sphere of influence to enlarge, to increase? Why would you not want to become more when the God who created you in his image to be his workmanship his work of art, his poetry, why would you not want to become more of what God created you to become and is committed to you becoming that? And we want as a church to get behind it. And so I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, and that all sounds great, but this isn't my experience of church. And I understand that. And it wasn't always mine either. And I, uh, I'm i frustrated about that too. And I'm saying it with all the humility in the world because we will not get everything perfect. Right? But what we are committed to is creating a wineskin, if you want to put it like that, a wineskin, a fluidity, a, a atmosphere, an environment in the church where everybody can be equipped, everyone, every day, everywhere, to fulfill the Great Commission in the places that God has called them to fulfill it and to be obedient to that, but to grow, to grow in influence. If this is... If this is the New Covenant era, that means we're moving from glory to glory. The Old Covenant, it faded away. We are a privileged people that you're born in this side of the Testaments, that you're born in as a New Testament, because we are moving from glory to glory to glory to glory. We can have a theology of more. I know sometimes charismatics, particularly people from the vineyard, used to get, you know, uh, why do all these people say more, 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 all the time, right? Well, it's very biblical. We have a theology of more, because God wants to always do more. <laughs> but in Northern Ireland, we need to break small-minded thinking, we need a break small-minded thinking because as, 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 as kind of humble as we are, we're false with it sometimes. It's a false humility sometimes because once somebody really does succeed, once somebody does really well in their work, once God does really favor and prosper somebody, and part of that might be to get a new car, what's our initial response? Oh, so it's just supposed to be doing rightly. Like? They're, they're doing rightly at their job. Aye, bully for them. Isn't that the way we think? And It's kinda of like, well, why could you not rejoice? You know, why could you not just rejoice and maybe what God is doing there? Maybe God's blessing them. Maybe God's giving them more of the resource of heaven so that they can bless others and He's letting them enjoying that blessing a wee bit too, which isn't necessarily a sin. Yeah. And so I suppose what we just want to like push into and push against as as I finish is let's not be people that are restricted, right? by our own small-mindedness, and let's shatter those stinking thinking mindsets in order that we can truly be people that flow with the mind of Christ and the imagination of heaven, okay, in order to be all God has called us to be. And so when we talk about training leaders, pick yourself. Pick yourself. You say, but nobody else has picked me. Well, God did. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. So pick yourself. Pick yourself. Go, what is it you're calling me to do and be? And I want to submit my life and my gifts to you in order that you might fill the sphere of influence that I live in with your presence. The way that we're going to be able to do that better is when we understand the fivefold gifts. I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger, though. That's what we're going to look at. Next week, okay. But for 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 today, as we finish, would you would you pick yourself? Would you pick yourself for what God's called you to be and to do? Why don't you stand with me? Just in these moments as we pray, we're not going to sing or anything. We're just going to pray, and then we're going to get into Rian's buns, and cakes, and try and raise this young man a few quid to send him on his way to Barcelona. But before we do that, why don't you just take a moment and with what God has given you, why don't you just give it to him again? Why don't you just give it to him afresh? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Just like God had to say to Moses. Moses didn't feel he'd, he didn't feel he'd too much left, sure, he didn't he He felt like his life had gone down the tubes really. But all he had was his was his staff. Which represented his income because he was a shepherd. It represented his identity because that's who he'd become. It represented his influence. And God just asked him to lay it down. So, wherever you are, you know, if you just feel the Lord speaking to you, wh- wherever He's called you to be, whatever He's called you to do, l- lay it down. Lay it down. In your own way before him. Maybe you want to even just post your hands out by giving it to the Lord. Just just give it to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. Thank you that you are here. We just pray now, Lord, that you would just increase the sense of your presence, Holy Spirit. And even in these moments, as people just lay down before you, submit to your lordship in their lives, submit their gifts and their talents before you, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you release the imagination and the dreams and the solutions of heaven. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.